Hello there, and welcome to No Extra Words, One Person Search for Story. My name is Chris Baker Dersh. I'm your producer and editor. I was a school librarian for four years. And one of the things that I learned about being a school librarian is it's all about the relationships. Relationships with teachers, parents, students, everybody. And one of my favorite relationships that I formed in that time was with the children's manager at a local indie bookstore. It was awesome. She would do book fairs for me and we would do all kinds of stuff. And one of the things that she learned was when she was pitching authors to come visit her store, telling them there's also a school in the neighborhood that would love an author presentation, sort of sweeten the deal. And so for a couple of years there, we would get these fantastic big name children's authors that would come to the school for free because she was taking care of the financial end through the store and we were just sort of the bonus. An author visit usually costs money. It's been a while since I've hosted one. It's been a while since I paid for one because I didn't have to. Um, but big name authors, it can run four figures easily, especially if you have to pay transportation and things like that. So for a couple of years, we had these fantastic children's book authors. We got Catherine Applegate, who wrote the one and only Ivan. And she came just a few months before her Newbery Award for the one and only Ivan was announced. And in the spring of 2013, we got Kate DiCamillo. I remember when this woman, her name was Holly, first emailed me and she said, is there any way your school would be open to hosting Kate DiCamillo? And what I said is, if Kate DiCamillo is coming, I will move heaven and earth to make that happen. I had met her ever so briefly at a librarian conference. I think I may even still have a picture of the two of us. I'll see if I can dig it out for social media. And was a huge Kate DiCamillo fan. Um, so having her at the school, you know, when you host an author, you get to talk to them a little bit, which is kind of nice. And you get to know them a little bit. Having her at the school was a thrill. And she was actually at my school the spring of 2013, just before she was named the National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. So we would get these big name authors for free. To this day, I'm not really sure the school knew how much author visits like that actually cost. If you're curious, Kate DiCamillo is a fantastic author presenter. My school was in elementary and middle school, and she can hit all of those ages because at the time she was there, she was heavily promoting Mink and Golly, which is her series of early readers. They're awesome. They're two girls who live in a treehouse and live on pancakes and peanut butter. But she was a Newbery Award winner for A Tale of Despero, and, you know, she's just had, she's prolific, she's had a number of books published. And so she makes a fantastic speaker. And it was such a delight and a joy to have her. And I got to ask her the burning question I had always had, which was, did you write The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane? Because you were always as annoyed by the Velveteen Rabbit as I have always been. Always wanted to ask her that. I will save her answer for later in the show. But that's what we're going to talk about today. We're pairing up for this book pairings podcast. The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo and The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams Bianco. Now, as usual, I feel like I've said this a lot lately, but as usual, this episode is not shaping out the way that I initially planned it because what I really don't want to do is I don't want to hate on everybody's favorite children's book. I promised you all when I started this that I was going to tell you my story of books. So it's one person's perspective. It's one person's search for story. It's me. And taste is one of those funky things that everyone's entitled to have. And there are books that I love that everyone hates. And there are books that I can't stand 
that everyone seems to think are literary canon. And I've come to accept that. And so I'm not ashamed of my particular opinion of the Velveteen Rabbit. But it's been a really... It's been a negative week. And there's been a lot of people yelling at each other about opinions. And there's been a whole lot of that going on. And to come into this episode in the kind of book hater space that I was in wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I have ditched my carefully written script. I'm not even looking at it. So I'm kind of going off the cuff here. And I really do want to talk about these two books and put them together in context and set my own feelings about the Velveteen Rabbit aside because at the end of the day, both of these stories are about the search for love and what it means to love and be loved. And both of these stories are about the wear and tear that life puts on you when you're in that process. And both of those seem like better things to focus on than how much I just like the Velveteen Rabbit. I am going to start with The Velveteen Rabbit because of these two, I think it's the one that's better known. Um, The Velveteen Rabbit goes back to 1922. It was Marjorie Williams Bianco's first children's book, and it remains the book she's best known for to this day. She was a prolific writer. She had written novels. Her career dates back to 1901 when she was 19 years old. She traveled to London. Her family had been living in the United States, but she traveled to London to sell her first novel. And her early novels didn't sell well. She wrote a horror novel. She was kind of all over the place. I think, you know, she got off to a young start. And after coming back to the United States after the First World War is when she settled down to writing children's books, which really seems to have been her calling. She wrote a number of children's books after The Velveteen Rabbit and was assisted by her daughter, Pamela, who was a sort of a young artist protege, a a child talent, and was an illustrator of a number of her books. There is a novel out right now that is the story of her and Pamela's lives called The Velveteen Girls. I don't know anything about it. I just happened to spy it in the bookstore this week. And they definitely were an interesting pair together. This theme of inanimate objects having feelings and toys becoming real is a theme that would follow Marjorie throughout her writing career as she wrote children's books. She wrote children's books until her death in 1942. And the Velveteen Rabbit, really, that's its central theme. If you don't know the Velveteen Rabbit, basically at its core, it's a rabbit made of velveteen, which is a very cheap material. It's not a fancy toy. And the boy this rabbit is gifted to plays with him for a while on Christmas morning and then the toy gets kind of discarded and forgotten and stuffed in a corner of the nursery and makes friends with the other toys, including the sort of wise old toy of the toy world, the skin horse, who is that character in this book. And the skin horse teaches the Velveteen Rabbit about what it means to be real. And real means a child loves you and... In fact, I'm going to read a quote from the book because it says it better than I can. And this is a very famous quote. I've even heard this read at weddings. Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. 
you become. It takes a long time. And he goes on to talk about how becoming real doesn't happen to things with sharp edges or things that break easily. And by the time you become real, you'll have lost most of your fur and you won't look very nice anymore. But that's okay because the, the to people who love you real makes you beautiful, essentially. So the boy, the Velveteen Rabbit starts on his journey to being real um, when the boy kind of rediscovers him and he becomes the boy's best buddy and favorite toy. And things are going really well for them. And the little boy gets scarlet fever and is very sick. And the Velveteen Rabbit is his constant companion through his illness and spends all of his time with him imagining all the adventures they're going to have once the boy gets better. And the boy does get better. But the Velveteen Rabbit is sent away to be destroyed because, of course, the blankets and stuffed animals and things that would have been around a child with scarlet fever can't be saved after the illness because of the germs they carry. So the rabbit is sent for discard. And I will not ruin the ending if you haven't read this book. But all I will say is the rabbit is upset by this and cries tears. And out of the tears come a fairy who makes everything right in the end. So that's the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. Um, again, a much beloved book. I, I know people who get maybe just talking about it. And like I said, that quote about being real is, is often read at weddings because it's about love. Um, one funny quote that I heard recently about this book that I just love. Um, Grace, the Jane Fonda character in the Netflix show Grace and Frankie, is going to read this book to her grandchildren. And she's just tried to sell an adult book to her daughter who's on bed rest. And she, you know, basically tells her, I, I know it starts out tough, but if you power through it, it gets really good. And um, and trying to sell the Velveteen Rabbit to her grandchildren, she basically says the same thing. She says, it starts out rough, but once the boy gets Scarlet Fever, it's smooth sailing. Maybe not for the rabbit. Um, I just love that. But obviously a cultural icon. I can think of other TV shows this book is in. It makes an appearance in Friends of all places. Um, somebody's gifting the book to a girlfriend. I can't remember off the top of my head who, but it's definitely a touchstone of children's literature, The Velveteen Rabbit. Let's talk for a minute about Ember Tulane, an entirely different but yet ever so similar kind of toy rabbit. When I put the picture of the Velveteen Rabbit on Instagram today and said that I was going to do this episode, I mentioned I was going to do a tale of two fictional toy bunnies. And as soon as I wrote it, I was like, Edward Tulane would not like that. Because Edward Tulane, especially at the beginning of the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane, is not into this being called a bunny. Edward Tulane is a rabbit. Whereas the Velveteen Rabbit is made of this cheap material and stuff with sawdust, Edward Tulane is beautiful. He His ears have real rabbit fur. He can stand and pose it. His arms and legs move. He has this extensive wardrobe that's been made for him. Edward is glamorous. Edward is gorgeous. And Edward is well aware of how beautiful he is. Edward belongs to a little girl named Abilene, who adores him, and winds his watch and takes him to breakfast and... He's a China rabbit, so he's fragile, but this little girl loves him and takes such good care of him. And the rest of the Tulane family basically patronizes him. 
Um, they sort of tolerate his existence. The only member of the family that Edward has some suspicions about is Pellegrina, who is Abilene's grandmother. Pellegrina is the one who had Edward and this gorgeous wardrobe of his maid. But she seems suspicious of him right from the beginning. And Edward really has very little interest in the humans in his world. You know, he was used to tuning out their conversations. What they have to say is not very important. Really, the most important thing in Edward's world is how nice he looks. And... When Abilene tells him she loves him, his response, of course he can't talk, but his response in his head is, yes, yes, that's nice. So Edward is told he's going on an ocean voyage with the family, and Pellegrina's not going. And right before they leave, Pellegrina tells Abilene and Edward, it's important that Edward hear, this fairy tale about a princess who didn't know love. And it doesn't end well, this fairy tale, which Abilene calls her grandma out on. She's sort of like, that's not, nobody... It lives happily ever after at the end of this. And her grandmother said, yeah, you don't live happily ever after without love. So that's the last kind of thing that Edward hears before he goes on his trip. And he is disconcerted by it. You know, to give this rabbit, he's not a bunny, credit, he does get a prick of something when he hears this story. But what Edward doesn't know is he's about to go on an adventure because he doesn't stay on the boat on this ocean voyage. He actually falls off the boat and ends up at the bottom of the ocean. And that is only the beginning. Edward is off on a journey to find and eventually give up on love. And there are two things that I love about this. First of all, Edward remains a toy. It's actually one of the things that I like about both of these is these are not Toy Story type toys who come to life and start talking um, and can kind of sneak around behind kids' backs. Edward especially, it's very clear that Edward must interact with the world as a toy. When he's falling into the ocean, his eyes are still open. Why are his eyes open? Well, not because he has anything to do with it. He can't close them. They're painted on. And you would think that would make Edward a very passive character in his own story, but it's not like that. You know, for a passive character, he is a very interactive part of the things that are happening to him for the simple fact that the one thing he can do is feel. And that's what he's learning, really. He can't move. He can't blink. He can't talk. But he is capable inside his China rabbit self of emotion. And so it's this emotional journey that he's on and he is learning. And I will not tell you all the things that happened to Edward. He becomes a scarecrow for a while and he dances on the street for a while he also gets thrown out with garbage and saved from garbage and a lot of things are going to happen to edward before his story takes him home is all i'm going to say about how his story comes to an end so he's a toy he's a He's a, he's a toy and he interacts with the world as a toy. And that to me is one of the big things about Edward's story. And the other big thing is his emotions are very real. Um, he does start out as a character who doesn't know anything about love and doesn't really know what it means to love or be loved. And he finds that, but it's not a straight line because he of course gets his heart broken and gives up on love before his story finally reaches its end. It doesn't have, well, it's longer than The Velveteen Rabbit. I think The Velveteen Rabbit kind of has to have a little bit of preachiness to it because it's not very long. So, you know, you need the skin horse in the nursery talking about 
what it means to be real. Edward has the time in his story, although this is actually a very quick read, but Edward has the time in his story to figure that out for himself. So two toy rabbits on a very similar journey. And I think, you know, it's hard to do, it's hard to do this show and to not want to bring all of my life and my world and the world into it. Because the act of reading is so personal and books are so personal. And so everything you read and interact with becomes part of the world you're living in right now. And yeah, I don't want to go veering off topic because I think one of the reasons you're here is because you want to hear about books and story and you may want to break from all the other stuff. You've got enough people yelling at you. You don't need to add me to your list. Um, but I do think this character who doesn't know how to love and who is found and accepted and loved in dark places is an important, an important character for our time. The other thing that both Edward and the Velveteen Rabbit have in common is this journey, this emotional journey they're on is physically very damaging. I think the Velveteen Rabbit starts out cheaply made, so he probably cares less about this, but you have to remember Edward starts out gorgeous and he loses his wardrobe pretty quickly, but he loses a lot of other things along the way. And so Edward has to go from being beautiful on the outside to figuring out what is left on the inside. I adore Edward. It's a special book to me. I, I still remember where I was the first time I read it. I read it as an adult. You know, it's not a book that was around since I was a child, but I read it in an upstairs bedroom at my dad's house when I was in a phase of my life where I was sort of homeless um, and living at my dad's house in my 20s and found this book and read this book and loved this book um, just because of the journey. It's, it's such a nice, quick, satisfying, emotionally riveting read. And then I got to meet Kate Camillo not long after that and get a copy and have it signed. That's the copy I still have, which is hilarious because when I went to get this book to talk about it for the show, I got it from the library, forgetting that I have a signed copy of it on my shelf. And then, you know, the world turns full circle and I got to have Kate Camillo come to my school and meet my kids and talk about writing and storytelling to them. I did say I would come back to her answer to the question that started this episode. Um, she said... In all honesty, she had never read The Velveteen Rabbit before she created Edward Tulane, but I'm certainly not the first person to have pointed out the similarities to her directly. Certainly you can read about them online, but she told me, like, this is something that gets pointed out to her a lot, is the connection between these two books. And I think it's fitting that she came to this not having read the other, because sometimes a story is what you're looking for, and sometimes a story really is just a story. I really hope you enjoyed this pairing of The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo with The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams Bianco. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please share it with a friend who either loved or hated The Velveteen Rabbit. Um, and you can subscribe and hear more book pairings in the future. We're on, gosh, we're on Apple Podcasts, which is that little purple thing in your phone, formerly known as iTunes. We're on Google Play Music, YouTube, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. I am so appreciating the feedback, you guys. Honestly, they were at episode four now since we changed formats, episode four of season two. And I am really appreciating your tweets and your Instagram comments and your emails. Those of you who've gotten in touch and let me know that you like what's happening here. 
please know those mean a lot to me. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do to do a solo show. And I do very much appreciate hearing from you. I want to hear what you're reading. I want to hear what you'd love to have me cover on the show, whether it's going to make the list or not. I want to hear all those things. So thank you for that. When you hear from me again, it will be March. March is Women's History Month, and we are going to make that our theme here. And that's going to take us in a bunch of different directions. We're going to do some historical fiction. We're going to do some history books. We're going to do some women's voices in places you don't hear women's voices and some very important women writers in history. So we're going to do a little bit of all of that. And we are starting next week with local author Kirby Larson and her Newbery Award winning Hattie Big Sky. Probably talk a little bit about the sequel, but going to focus on Hattie Big Sky and I'm pairing that with Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House books. Um, as always, reading along is not required. If you want to read with us and you want to pick which Little House book, just pick one. Um, I'm probably going to talk about a little bit about all of them and about Laura Ingalls Wilder's life as a whole. Um, Little House in the Big Woods is probably the shortest. It's the one I'm reading to the three-year-old right now. Um, the Long Winter, I think, is the one that really needs a reread as an adult. If you haven't seen these in a while, as an adult, that's the one I would pick up. But really, any of them. And all of them, they're well worth the reread. But, you know, if you're trying to squeeze them into a week, just grab one. And as always, if you haven't read or don't have the time to read or don't care to read, help you'll just tune in to hear me talk about those books that I really, really like. Um, in the meantime, we're at noextrawords.wordpress.com. I would love more friends on Goodreads, where I'm goodreads.com slash noextrawords, and I'm also playing over on Instagram and Twitter as well. So hope to check you out in those places. Have an excellent week.